Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. So we are in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the story of, it's the last book of your Old Testament chronologically. I know it's in the front of your Bible, uh, but it's the last thing that happens before silent years and before the coming of uh, John the Baptist and Christ. And in the, in the closing part of that, God's trying to get Israel's attention. One of the things they needed to do was rebuild a wall. And uh, because the glory of God was represented by this wall, and we probably have the picture, the little model that we show every week. This is the wall that Nehemiah was left Persia. He was a cupbearer to the king. He left Persia, went 900 miles away in a three-month journey, uh, rounded up 40 families in Israel, and they put this wall back together. It's hard to see from way out there on our TVs, but those big things that people think are houses off to your left, those are actually not houses. They're the stones. Remember, the stones are five and 10,000 pounds apiece. It's two and a half miles long, and in places it's almost 45 feet high. It's average of 39 feet high everywhere. Um, the, the building in the back is the temple. Ezra rebuilt the temple years before, and they never got the wall around it, so the temple was almost useless because terrorists and raiders and all kinds of bad people kept torturing Israel. So Nehemiah set out on a mission of God to build a wall. In 52 days, he makes that happen. We're going to see that today. Um, he's got he, he's got a huge project ahead of him. He's not a builder, not a construction guy. He's not a mason guy. He's a called man of God. That's all you got to be to do the work of God is a called man or woman of God. And so, so he heads back to do that. And we've seen in chapter uh, five, we saw the importance of. Um, the battle that he was against, he's had, he's had internal and external warfare against him. Um, remember he had, first of all, they were just mocking him, these two guys. Now there's three. There's a guy named Gershom that's going to show up in this one. But there, there's these guys that were mocking the wall and they're building first, like you'll never make this happen. A fox could knock it over. Then that turned into, hey, we're going to hide behind these rocks and kill the guys that are trying to build it. So Nehemiah had to face the real battle. We talked about spiritual warfare. As we're trying to build our lives back to the glory of God, we're trying to serve God with our lives. The enemy is going to get real serious at some point. And you're going to have to set up guards in your life. We talked about all that in the previous messages. So now they've got the wall going. They've got guards. They've got all that. And it's going pretty well. And then we saw last week there's this uh, internal conflict where people were charging. Remember this? Where the uh, people of Israel, were the, the noblemen were charging the poor people uh, way more than they should. And so there was a problem with that, and uh, and Israel, uh, Nehemiah had to deal with it last week. We saw exactly how he dealt with that, very wise, how he dealt with all that. Got it all settled. I wish he was our governor. <laughs> I wish he was our president uh, because of how he handled all that conflict and taxes and everything. But when you study that, you see that there's constant, something constantly trying to keep you from getting the, the work of God done in your life. It's constant, isn't it? And in our culture... <clears throat> It's so easy to get distracted today. Um, it's very common. In, in, in my day, it wasn't called ADHD, right? There, there's, everybody knows this when you're raising your kids now, or even yourself, some of you, um, they've labeled you as ADHD, right? You're, 
trying to make you stay focused enough that you can hear all those letters. Because <laughs> if you're ADHD, you hear just a couple and you're like, I know where you're going with this. I don't even know. Now you're back on your phone, right? So ADHD is, is attention deficit disorder. It literally means you have problem paying attention, right? When I was a kid, that was called D-U-M-B, right? And it was just, it was just beaten out of us back in the day. You literally beat kids in school or at home till they paid attention well. And for some of us, it worked. For some of us, it created, you know, appointments with your chiropractor, your, your chiropractor, with your psychiatrist and probably your chiropractor, uh, later in life, right? Because, because in my day, you disciplined ADHD out of kids. You made them pay attention. Now we worry about all of that and we do it differently and you can debate all that with me later. I think there's a lot of kids that don't need to be on medicine. They just, they just need a little more creativity in their classroom and probably to be disciplined a little better at home. So I'm not a child psychologist or medical professional. I don't even play one on TV. So don't worry about all that as professional information. It's just my opinion. Um, but chapter six is about a small group of people who are trying so hard to distract Nehemiah. They're his enemies. And they want Israel to stop building this wall. And um, Nehemiah gives us some really invaluable leadership tips here. Four ways to avoid being distracted from your responsibility to use your life to glorify God. Everybody in this room, your life was created by God, literally fashioned in your mother's womb. You were created to glorify God. And everything in this world pulls you against that. Literally everything distracts us from that. So... So we're going to see how God uh, helps us with that. So, so now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and uh, Geshem, the Arab, uh, and the rest of our enemies, that's all the enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, there was no breaches remaining in it, although at the time we had not set up the doors and the gates. So there's some big gaping holes, but they're for doors and gates. Uh, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, listen to this message, come, let's meet together at uh, Cherfurim in the plain of Ono, uh, near Ono Island, and uh, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, man, if y'all mark anything in, in your physical Bibles, love this line. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Nehemiah just stops the whole process of them trying to lure him away from his work and he says, I'm doing a great work of God. Why am I going to keep come listen to you? So here's, here's principle number one. Josh, we'll come back to the Scriptures in a minute. Here's principle number one. But the first part of this is to stay very focused. Stay focused on the mission that God has instilled in you. Right? That's principle number one. The way you're going to literally get this done is stay focused on the mission. The reason you want to do that is because there's so many distractions. Even when you're in church, by the way. Just lots of distractions. And we have this little thing we call a phone. It's really a handheld computer uh, that we towed around with us now to do everything. It takes pictures. It sends messages all over the world. Um, you can check your email and all kinds of other stuff. But there's this, this little handheld computer that's the world's greatest distraction to your spiritual journey. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a phone, but I'm saying if you want to figure out how easily distracted you are uh, or how addicted you are to your phone, try to... I, this is so crazy because I knew I was preaching this message today. I'm just going to interrupt myself while, while y'all are getting your handouts. But I literally had a dream last night. Um, and it's, you know, dreams are just weird. And I was actually, the, the large church I served at in Birmingham, a bunch of y'all were there with me and we were doing something. 
and a bunch of people from camp were there with me and we were doing something. And I lost my phone in a giant building. That, that building is, if you think of uh, Cottage Hill Baptist or uh, uh, what, what would be Redemption, Northmobile, the old Northmobile Redemption. Think of one of those big churches. I lost my phone somewhere in that building doing something. And all of us are looking for it. The whole room of people here are looking for it. And a bunch of friends from Georgia are helping me try to find it. And I found four phones that were lost. Okay? <laughs> And for some reason, they're all girl phones because they had like girly stuff on them. I don't even know what that's all about. But I'm just telling you, I had this dream and I'm, I'm in my dream. I'm getting anxious about not having my phone. But I'm trying not to let y'all know I'm anxious about it, right? Because I'm supposed to be calm and cool about that. It's like, it's just a phone, man. Just a phone. But really, is it more than just a phone to you? It is. And it freaks you out a little bit, right? So it's interesting that I'm preaching to myself today, just letting y'all know, I heard God in my dream saying, this is you. <laughs> um, but so life is filled with distracting events and distracting people. So we're going to talk about the events that can distract us first. If you look at the stay focused part, life is filled with distracting events. Matthew 13, when Jesus talks about the seed of the word of God being scattered into your heart, right? He's saying, he's saying people are preaching the word to you, teaching you the word. You're listening to it in songs on the radio that have scripture truth in it. There's seed coming out to you, seed coming out to you all the time, seed coming out. In Matthew 13, he says there's one person whose heart doesn't receive the seed, and here's why. Because the worries of this world, right? The one whom seed was sown among thorns, that's his picture of thorns choking it out. This is a man who hears the word, but the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. That's distracted. It means the world distracts you from taking in the Word that can bear fruit in your life and be profitable for kingdom work, not earthly work, right? And kingdom work's the most satisfying. I promise you, I've been doing this a long time, kingdom work is so much more satisfying than earthly work, but we become unfruitful and not productive for the kingdom when we let the worries of this world choke us out and we let the deceitfulness of wealth choke us out. Matthew 13 is crystal clear. You can get distracted by that stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You get distracted by the worries of this world. Amen. So we're testifying to one another. In Luke chapter 10, the very end of chapter, uh, Mary and Martha, uh, Jesus has come to Bethany and he's sitting down in the house of Mary and Martha with his disciples. And apparently he just showed up, <laughs> um, kind of welcomed himself into their home. And they're not really totally prepared for that. So Martha the doer, I stand, I'm a, I'm a Martha personality, Martha the doer is freaking out, right? We got to get food for all these guys. We got to get food for all these people that showed up. We got to get places for them to sit that's comfortable. We need to sweep this out. She's trying to get everything prepared, right? And what's Mary doing, y'all remember? She's just sitting down at the feet of Jesus going, come on, talk some more, talk some more. want to hear you talk. Love hearing you talk, right? She's literally just soaking it in. And here's what it says. When Martha finally gets the... Courage, maybe that's not the right word, the temper up enough that she thinks her sister should be helping her. She literally, because she's distracted by her preparation, she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now listen, she is so distracted by her doing that she's blaming Jesus for not caring. She's literally accusing Jesus of not caring. Now, all of us who are serious 
overachieving doers know exactly what that feels like to look at God and go, man, you just don't care. I'm trying so hard. You just don't care. You're not paying attention to how hard I'm trying, right? That's Martha. She came and said, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She's like, let me tell you what you need to do. <laughs> She's listening to you, so you tell her. And the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, <clears throat> you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the best or the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. If you make notes in your margin, there's many things to worry about. There's one necessary thing, and there's a best thing. And Mary figured out one and best. The one is Jesus and time with Him. Isn't that crazy? Because Mary was not distracted by all the to-dos, so she wouldn't miss something Jesus was saying to her. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm a doer, and I get distracted by all the to-dos and miss the stuff Jesus is saying to me. Right? And I'm just confessing that as your pastor. It's all, it's easy for all of us to do that. And you go, but pastor, and if you're a doer, here's what you're saying, but somebody got to do it, (laughs) right? Don't you think Jesus knows that? Don't you think at some point he was like, Martha, if you just sit here and let's talk for a little bit, I'm going to share some truths with you. I'm going to teach you from Isaiah. You know, I'm going to talk about some of the stuff we just went through on the road and our missions work today. I'm going to unlock some treasures for the guys. Then we'll all get up and help each other. Like all of us can make the meal. It doesn't have to be you. All of us can do that. If you just sit down, what's the word, Brother Al? Shut up and sit down, right? You just sit here and stop being distracted by your to-do list. So be careful because life is filled with distracting events. Mary chose the better one. Life's also filled with distracting people. Hmm. Don't point so many out of the room. Life is filled with distracting people. you got to stay on mission. What happens in Nehemiah is there's these people that come into his life now and they're trying to distract him. And you're going to see it ramp up to another level by the end of this chapter. Some well-meaning but distracting people are in your life. They don't mean to be distractions, but they become distractions. And then there are people who the enemy sends literally as evil distractions, right? So let me just give you a couple of quick Bible examples. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but uh, if Noah had listened to the hundreds of years of doubters, you know it took him years to build the ark, right? Hundreds of years of mockers and doubters. If he had listened to any generation of those, any five-year period of those mockers and doubters, he would not have saved the world. He saved the world, guys, because he would not stop focusing on his mission. He stayed on mission so that the world didn't end. The world would have ended if Noah was distracted by the people in his life. That makes sense? Right? King David's a good example. So King David, uh, as a little shepherd boy, uh, comes down to the front lines of the army to feed his brothers cheese and bread and delivers that to them. And he hears this giant down in the valley cursing his God. And the soldiers have heard it for 40 days. They've literally gotten callous to it. It's 40 days of cursing against God. And David hears it one time. It's day 41. It's... I have an old shirt from camp that I put 41 on the back of like a number so we'd remember, man, day 41 changes everything. 
So for 40 days, this guy mocks Israel till one little shepherd boy shows up. I call him pizza delivery boy, bread and pizza, bread and cheese. Um, but he shows up on the front lines, and he's not okay with you mocking his God. All the soldiers are. The little shepherd boy's not. Like, you're not going to mock God like that. That's not okay. Do not curse our God, right? Now, did he just go, I'll come down there and fight you? No. His brothers first. Because they're distracting people in your life. David was on mission the minute he heard that mocking. He's like, that is not okay. This is not okay. I'm going to solve this today, right? But his brothers go, oh, you're just a little kid, right? Mock them, mocking David now. You're just a little kid. Why don't you go home and take care of the few sheep that dad leaves you in charge of, right? What are they trying to do? Distract him from his mission. Trying to discourage him and distract him from his mission. And, and instead of that this impossible mission that he's on. He's not distracted. Some other soldier overhears it and says, hey, I'll take you to the king, and you just tell King Saul you want to go do it. But what did King Saul say to David? Same thing. Man, you're just a little kid. This guy's a seasoned warrior, right? Y'all have heard me say this before, but, you know, Goliath has a toe fungus that's older than David. I mean, he's just this big, huge, gaudy, seasoned warrior that can kill David and crush him unless God's on David's side, which is David's whole point, by the way. This is not about me taking on Goliath. It's about Goliath mocking God. And I'm on mission for God, not mission for David. I'm not trying to prove myself to be some great kid with a slingshot or some really impressive warrior. Don't care about any of that. Now, all that's going to happen. He's going to become the you know, leader of the army at some point. But what, what he does is stay on focus. Even when he was mocked, by everybody, including Goliath, he stayed on mission. And one rock later, one rock later, Goliath did. Mission accomplished. If he had not done that, by the way, Israel would have been captured by, if he'd have lost that battle or not showed up for that battle and they just let it mock for a while, at some point Goliath would have let the Philistines capture Israel and they would have fallen to literally the people we would call um, the, the Ishmaelites today, um, they would have become part of a very terrible tribe of people. So, um, but the Philistines were uh, slaughtered that day when it happened. Uh, I always think some of you that are football fans would know how this goes, but I always think right after David, I mean, he's been told every every by everybody on that hillside, this will never work, this will never work, you're never going to be able to kill him, you're never going to be able to kill him, right? Then he goes down there and has a little combat words with him, takes the one rock in the sling, slings it, hits the giant in the head, and the giant falls. And I really think David looked back at the whole line of people on the wall there, looking down the valley at him, and went, stat that, <laughs> right? It's not, not even in the statistics that I could do that, but just stat that one time. Because the percentage odds was like 0.01%. But nobody recognized God in David, and David had God. You have God trying to help you glorify God and work with God, Right? So realize, and that's the last point of this little section, if you realize what, what Nehemiah says is, I'm not going to be distracted because I realize that the work that we're doing is great work for God. Great work for God. By the way, I don't care. The Bible says even in your physical work that you do to earn a living, you are to do all things as unto God. So while you're fixing cars or covering people, working on your computer for the company you work for, um, while you're doing lawn care, whatever it is you're doing, you are literally working for God, and you literally, literally are doing a great work if you're doing it for God. 
right? While you're hauling stuff, carrying furniture, whatever it is you do for a living, right? If you're literally taking out people's trash, it's all under the leadership and rulership of God. He's appointed you to that task for His glory and good. And you can do it in a way that brings glory to Him, to your company, to your boss, to yourself if you're your own boss. You can glorify your family, uh, glorify God in your family by doing it unto God, not unto yourself, right? So we don't want to be distracted by people. We don't want to be distracted by uh, events. And we really want to realize that the work you're doing is really, really, really great work, right? So that's, that's how he handled that first little pushback. Then when you get to verse 4 in the text, here's what it says. If you're in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 4. So they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them the same way. They're literally pushing back against him one more time. Push back, push back. They're four times they sent it, verse 5. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, so here's the accusation, it is reported among you, uh, among the nations, that Gashmu says uh, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, that's why you're rebuilding the wall, and you're to be their king according to these reports. Nehemiah's already been appointed governor, by the way. Um, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the, to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a messenger to him saying, Such things, I love, love Nehemiah's reply, Such things are not as you are saying and have not been done. You are inventing them in your own mind. Right? So this is people randomly lying on Nehemiah. Um, this, is, this is really what um, our former president would call fake news. We always thought fake news was invented by our people. It was invented a long time ago. Sanballat and some of these other leaders around Israel that are trying to stop this wall from being built, they're creating fake scenarios to try to get Nehemiah to respond to them, to get distracted from the mission and closing up the gates and the door, the the um, doors of the wall. And they want him distracted. And they want to pull him off, and so they make up a bunch of lies about him. And he literally has to do that. And they they accuse him of they accuse him of plotting to overtake this whole area and become king. He has no desire to do that. By the way, he's promised the king of Persia, "I'll come back and be your cupbearer in a few months. Just let me get this done." And he will. He's going to leave. By the way, and go. Be the cupbearer again. But people are going to randomly lie about you while you're trying to do the work of God. It's just going to happen, right? Some of y'all know the story, but we used to have a sign down on the front uh, deal down here that had the letters you put in, a marquee sign where you put letters in every week about something. If we're having, a, you know, like today would say Palm Sunday service or whatever. And there's these little, there's a whole, we had a whole box of letters, these little clear letters you put up, right? Like the old honky-tonk signs, but ours was done real nice. It had the brick that matched the building, everything, right? And we had some wedding here, and after the wedding, the letters disappeared. Um, and I think it's, they were in like a little sewing box looking thing, and I think the people that were here thought maybe it was their stuff. And, but it, they were gone, gone, like forever gone, forever gone. And within, within a few days, there was a board meeting um, that the pastor had stolen the letters, and I mean, it was it was a brouhaha for a little while here at church to work backwards through that and go, well, first of all, 
what would I do with them? I don't have a sign at my house. You know, I'm not trying to sell them to anybody that has letters. I, I don't care about it. Matter of fact, it's one of my least favorite things is to go down there in the heat of the day and put the letters in. Try to make sure you spell it all right, right? So <laughs> that's why I took them because I didn't want to do it anymore. You were on the board. So <laughs> I remember you, right? But, but it was a crazy time because people were, people were starting to get really concerned that I would steal the letters. And I'm going, guys, y'all really need to just back up for a minute and think through what you're saying here. This is really, really ridiculous. So, um, and, and, but there's lots of accusations that come against you as you're walking with the Lord and trying to get close to Him. People, some people aren't going to understand and some people aren't going to have the perspective of God. They're going to have an enemy's perspective and they're going to accuse you of all kinds of false stuff. You know what you got to do? Just keep working. Don't get distracted. Just keep on working. Stay focused, right? So number two is you stay focused and you see the consequences of this fake news. Uh, let me, let me, Josh, did we, did I put that sentence about the tactics of Satan in there? Cause I, if that's not there, I want y'all to write this down. One of the tactics of Satan, it's in your notes, I think. One of the tactics of Satan is to get you focused on you. Have y'all figured that out now? Satan, Satan does not want you to, here it is. Satan does not want you to uh, slaughter kitty cats in the neighborhood and paint pentagrams on your, you know, circle drive out in front of your house. He's not really trying to get you to do that. He doesn't want you to wear, you know, dark clothes all the time and look like you're a scary person. Um, that's not satanic. Um, that's not what he wants you to do. All he wants you to do is love you more than God. If you will love you more than God, he wins every time. He wins every time. He needs you to put you on the throne of your life. And when that happens, the tactic of Satan is this. You are not focused on the Word of God, the work of God, or the will of God if you're focused on your will and your words and your wishes, right? If you get focused on you, Satan wins, you lose. And by the way, all the people you can minister to will lose. So, so I really want to encourage you to uh, not get distracted by those things and let that happen. So now the fake news comes in, and there's two things that happen. He actually says, Nehemiah says this, For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will be, that will be done. They were, we were, they were trying to distract us by fear. Like if we make up these lies about them, he will get afraid. There's a political nature to his lies. You can study all that. He's literally saying all these nations, the lie is all these nations are thinking you're doing this. You want to stop doing that before they start thinking that. So it created some fear in him. There's a danger of letting fear come into your life because fear, some of y'all reading these verses ahead of me, because fear um, literally defeats us, right? Uh, fear stops your progress. It's, there's a thing called paralysis, fear paralysis that you just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do and you stop the progress, well, that's in spiritual battles as well. If the enemy can get you afraid, like something's going on I don't understand or whatever, so I just need to stop for a minute, you got to be careful in your spiritual journey that you don't stop feeding yourself Scripture, getting with your friends. But fear causes you also to make poor choices, and it makes bad counsel sound good. That's the two things that fear will do for you. Causes you to make poor choices, and it makes bad counsel sound right. I've told the story before, but uh, when we were first married, uh, actually when we had, had Josh uh, about four years into our marriage, had our first baby, we were renting a house to buy it. That all got, we got, we got in a big mess with all that. Um, 
and the enemy tried to ruin our little family through all that, but it was, it was a crazy time for us. But the little house we were renting had a refrigerator go bad. And instead of the renters fixing it, they're like, well, you're getting ready to buy the house, so you need to get your own fridge. And I mean, I was making, I don't know how poorly my salary was at the little church I was serving, but it was terrible. And a very small church that I was serving in Birmingham and working two or three jobs on the side to cover all that. And Jeanette was, had just had Josh, so she's at home. And uh, so instead of finding a used refrigerator or all that, I wanted to be this great man that provided a great refrigerator for my wife. So I went to the you know local big store, uh, bought one and had it delivered, and I think we paid for that refrigerator for the next 45 years of our life. I think we're still paying on that refrigerator because uh, I put it on some stupid card that they gave me you know, that was just a forever credit thing. And it cost us way more than that. We could have bought probably three cars before we paid for that fridge. Uh, but my fear of not being able to provide and my fear of her not liking the used one that I get or whatever all caused me to make a really bad choice and get myself in a situation that for years it cost us, right? And the Lord taught me a huge lesson about that. Um, it, it causes us to do that. So um, 55 or so years ago, Brother Al, how old is our church? You know better than anybody. 56 years old, 50... 55 years ago, so I was right. 55 years ago, some men of this church um, went to um, Montgomery and applied for this to be an incorporated church, and you have to fill all these papers. And the man behind the counter said, so you're leaving a denomination, we were long ago Methodist, you're leaving a denominational church, and you're going to become an independent Bible church. That was a big thing back in the 60s. You're going to become an independent Bible church? Everybody, all the guys were like, yep, that's us. Just a bunch of old country bumpkin guys, by the way. There weren't really any theologians in that group. And they're just down there trying to fill out paperwork that they have to. And here's what the guy told them. He said, well, that won't last six months. I want you all to know every independent Bible church that started only lasted six months. It'll never last six months. Aren't you glad they didn't listen to it? I am. Because <laughs> my call to life happened at this church right here, you know, a few years later. Um, and I want you guys to know that you, you can hear bad counsel and it'll stop you from doing the work of God when in reality... You got to just keep pushing into the work of God. Lean in, like we talked about in some of the other battle strategies in the previous chapters. You just lean into the battle and you keep on working. It's a theme in Nehemiah, by the way. Just keep on doing what God called you to do. When people push back, keep leaning into that and get it done. Right? And then you see in the second part of verse nine, he has this great little prayer. Highlight it. There's some awesome prayers in Nehemiah. I covered one this past Friday at chapel. Um, at the mission. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But there's these awesome prayers. Here's this cool little prayer. Nehemiah just stops when he's getting all this pushback. He stops and goes, Oh God, strengthen my hand. Oh God, strengthen my hand. It's a great prayer, by the way. Oh God, strengthen my hand. Isaiah 40, 29, previously quoted in our word time, in our scripture time today, he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 31 goes on to say, the Lord will renew their strength. Right? You'll mount up with wings like eagles. He will renew your strength. Oh God, when you're tired in your spiritual journey, I'm, and if you're physically tired from working outside and all that, take a good nap, take a shower, eat something healthy and go to bed. Right? That's physical. But when you're spiritually tired, you don't need to ignore that. You need to go to prayer. And say, God, I want to stay on mission. I want to stay on task. Oh, God, 
Strengthen my hands. Strengthen me. Strengthen my life to get there, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 13, 9, both of them are passages where Paul's talking about he has this thorn in his flesh and he's not going to be able to make it through. Lord, I need you to strengthen me to get me through this. He really wants the thorn moved and God says, no, the thorn is actually for your good. In your weakness, you're going to be made strong. So by the way, when you ask God to strengthen you, it may be that He has to keep you weak so He gets strong in you. Your strength is really in Him, right? 13.9 says, Rejoice in your weakness because that's when God is strong in you. We rejoice in our weaknesses. Psalm 73 says, God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart. You're not the strength of your own heart. You cannot be strong in and of yourself. But if you put God in the center of your life and on the throne of your heart, He is the strength of your life. He is your strength. So don't focus on things that draw you away from God. This is really important. Nehemiah is not going to get focused on the things that draw him away from God. When you're being distracted from your mission, call on God to strengthen you. When you're being distracted, KTR is key to restoration. When you're being distracted from your mission to serve God, to give God your very best, to glorify Him with your daily life, and you're being distracted from that by anything, call on Him for strength and stay on task. Now, here's, here's the simple ones you guys need to figure out. You really do need to know what your, what your ADHD problem with God is. So if you're distracted from the, the, the call of God to keep Him in the center of your life, if something distracts you from that, you need to start figuring out what that is. For a lot of us, it's just simple. It's movies, music. We get distracted by the wrong kind of movies, the wrong kind of music, um, hobbies. By the way, good music can distract you too. You can get so excited about good music that you're not in your word enough to, to learn and grow in God. Um, uh, video games, don't get me started. Uh, video games, uh, computer games on your uh, phone. You know, i got to get to this next level before I can study, before I read my Bible, i got to get to this next level. Oh, I can get one more level. Oh, I can get one more level. Oh, if I just do this. Ah, and you never get in your Word, right? You know, a lot of people today spend way more time playing like some farm game or some Word game or whatever. You're building a virtual cartoony farm more than, more than you're reading your Word, Right? I don't mean to crush anybody's heart over that, but I'm just telling you, that's scary to me that we have let ourselves get caught up in got to get to the next level of that when God's saying, how about get to the next level with me? Wait till you see what happens when you put me first and you get to the next level with me, the blessings, the comfort, the peace, the joy, the hope, the strength that you have in your life to be a man or woman of God when you get to the next level with me, right? For, by the way, friends, we saw that. Friends can be distracting. Good friends can sometimes be distracting from the things God's calling you for. You have to listen for that. Um, but call on God for your strength. Call on God for your strength. And then lastly, you just need to seek discernment. If you look in the text in verse 10, there's going to be this subtle little attack that takes place. This very subtle little attack that comes in. And... Um, it's, it's Sanballat and those guys have set up a sneaky guy in his home. Verse 10, when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of uh, Deliah, the son of 
Somebody else can help me with that. Metahatabel, um, who was confined at home, he said. So this guy's confined at home. Now, I've had people say he's confined because of some legal thing. I don't think that's true, by the way. Um, I think it's actually a medical reason that he's stuck at home. Um, he says, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. So he's not confined to the point that he can't leave his house, obviously. Let's meet together in the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you at night. This guy is in his house. He's called Nehemiah to his house, and he says, hey, you need. we need to go to the temple and hide you, and you need to lock yourself in the temple because even the people around us that are uh, enemies are not going to bust into the temple um, now that it's com- now that it's sealed off and all. They're not going to bust into the temple and kill you. So we need to hide in the temple. And so Nehemiah says, verse 11, should a man like me flee? Could one such as I go to the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And here's his discernment. Then I perceived that surely God has not sent him, but he has utterly he has uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat, that's our two bad guys, um, had hired him. He was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Um, so Sanballat and Tobiah have somehow figured out if we can get him to run to the temple in fear, and really what they're probably thinking is we can make all the Israelites that have been working on this wall now for 50 days, we can make them be afraid as well. If the leader gets afraid, we can get everybody afraid and we'll stop the work. Yeah, yes. And Nehemiah goes, eh, just going to keep working. I'm good. Don't, don't buy. I'm not buying it for one second. This, you're, you're some deal. And so then Nehemiah finishes with this prayer, verse 14. Remember, O God, O my God, Tobiah and Sambal, according to these works of theirs, and also uh, Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. You see how fear is at the underlying current of this whole thing? There's this fear that's driving all this to keep us from being the men and women of God we're supposed to be, right? There's a little bit of fear. And all of us battle it in your daily life at some point. The enemy starts overwhelming you. Well, I'm afraid I'll never have enough money to be the person I want. I should be uh, as a husband for my family, right? I can tell you as a pastor making $35 an hour, that's how I was making in Birmingham, $35 an hour, $35 a week. I wish it was an hour. $35 a week in Birmingham for years. That was my salary, $35 a week. Whew. I was a happy youth pastor too, by the way. Doing a great job, having a great time, building, building a great youth group for $35 a week, right? Then you're painting and doing everything else you can to keep that going. And you keep thinking, Lord, I'm just, am I failing my family? You know, we don't have the nicest cars. We don't have the nicest stuff. But we got cars and we got stuff, by the way. We've always had cars and stuff because God provides when you put Him in the center of your life and you get going. you got to be careful not to let that happen. Satan wants to distract you from a life that glorifies God. Here's the conclusion of today. He wants to distract you from a life that glorifies God. He's going to do it with everything he's got. He might use your family. Your own family might be a distraction for you at times. He definitely will use your finances to distract you from glorifying God. He might use some legal status you're stuck in. I'm a thousand percent sure he will use Facebook, uh, TikTok, Snapchat. Josh, God help me with all these. Instagram, Twitter. I'm leaving that out. I don't want to leave Twitter out. He's going to use something to distract you 
So you look at your phone instead of the Word. So that you're constantly checking your handheld device rather than the Word. He's going to distract you with spiritual debates. He's going to try to get you focused on some sort of theological, spiritual stuff that really means nothing to no one, right? Nothing to no one. At the end of the day, even if you solve it, you haven't solved anything. Just those kind of debates crack me up. I've been going through some of those with some guys, and it's like, why, why would that even matter spiritually? Really? doesn't change anything about how we're living our life and what we're supposed to do. Um, he, he can distract you by overthinking things, trying to predict and worry about stuff, not to, not to point at Patty and all the rest of you that agree with her, but we overthink things sometimes. We, we try to predict and we worry about stuff in, our, in, our, in the future that we really can't. He says it in Matthew, you know, how is it going to help you one bit to worry about tomorrow? Let tomorrow be in God's hands, right? And we end up not trusting God, trying to trust in ourselves. All of that is Satan trying to get you to focus on you, not God. You know what uh, Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Eve, you need to focus on you. God is trying to take keep something away from you. He's trying to keep it away from you. There's this other thing that He won't let you have. And if you'd focus on you, not Him, you could have this other thing. What happened when she focused on her? She took a fruit she wasn't supposed to eat. She gave it to her husband who's an idiot. And her, an idiot... Her an idiot cost us all our lives. Your death sentence that's in your future at some point is thanks to that. Good job, Eve. Good job, Adam. Right? They were focused on self, not God. That's what Satan wants you to do. And you're supposed to be using your life to glorify God. You're supposed to use your life to glorify God. The most joyous, satisfying, and wonderful mission you will ever accomplish is if your life is about Him, not you. I'm 100% sure of that. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, some of you are new in your faith and you're, you're learning, you're growing, I get that. But if you believe your most satisfying life is in full-hearted, I want all of my work that I do at my workplace, all of my work that I do in my home, all of my home life to be glorifying to God, not about me. If you've really come to understand that and you know that it's the most satisfying, raise your hand. So a bunch of us are learning it. The rest of us will catch up. <laughs> Just hang around and see the glory and how glorifying it is to do all that. Not for us to get glory, but for Him. So today is Palm Sunday. I want you to just think through that for a minute. Palm Sunday. Jesus was tempted and distracted many times in His earthly life. Many times in His earthly life. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness that was distracting Him from His mission. Satan was trying to get Him to do His mission early. Exalt yourself in front of these people, and then you won't have to go to the cross. No thanks. Quote Scripture, put Satan down, right? His mission was to leave heaven and walk in love for those who would beat and murder him for our sins. He had to go to the cross to be murdered for our sins, and his mission was to pay for your sins because it's a debt you can't pay. He has to get to the cross. And if you study his life... The Pharisees are trying to shortcut that once. They're trying to stone him to death. You know why he disappeared into the crowd? Because he can't be stoned to death. That's not the fulfillment of the prophecy. It wasn't time, so he literally had to step away from that. His mission is to pay for that. He had so many distractions. His own followers wanted him to rule over Rome as a powerful military force. Remember they kept trying to exalt him? You know what Palm Sunday is? 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Messiah is here. They're laying down these palm branches while he comes in on his little donkey. The Romans would have been just cracking up like, they can't even get a horse for him, really? Like, our kings ride horses at least, you know? You have a donkey? A little, the young colt, by the way. There's a full-size man on his little young colt. Blessed is, very humble though, very humble. Here he is, and they're laying down these palm branches, and you know what they're thinking in their head? He is our king. This is our king. He's going to overthrow Rome. Yes, his authority and power is finally, he's standing up against the Pharisees who keep picking on him. He's actually going to be the king that overthrows Rome with his military and his magical, creative powers. Because we've seen him do crazy miracles, right? Is that why Jesus came? No. And when he rides into town and weeps over Israel, it's because they still don't understand. He's going to win by love, and love has to sacrifice. He's going to win by love, and love has to sacrifice. So even while the people were, of Israel were honoring Jesus, they're actually trying to distract him from a permanent mission that he has to get on to get to the cross. They were not seeking a spiritual savior. They were seeking an earthly king. And Jesus has to think in his head, no, nope, got to keep going. Got to keep going. And, and, you know, within a week, he's not distracted, but he's standing before Pilate, who's saying, they're accusing you of treason. Nope, my kingdom's not of this earth. Nope, just need you to do what you're fixing to do, which is accuse, uh, declare me innocent and then still put me on the cross. That's really what's going to happen, right? But he did not let his focus draw him away from the mission God called him to. He was laser-focused. Jesus was laser-focused on loving you to forgive you of your sins. Loving you to forgive you of your sins. If you want to remember what Palm Sunday is about, it's that Jesus never got distracted from loving you. And He could have. He could have said, yep, I'd like to be king today. I'll just, how about this? We'll go build a kingdom. By the way, He has the power and the authority to crush Rome with a, a blink. He can make a, a solar system with a word. So He could have said, I'm just going to crush Rome now. And yep, I'll just be king without the scars. But you know what? Your sins didn't get paid for if He did that. Neither would mine. And that's how much He loved me not be king before he was called to be king. He's the king of kings now, but he's got these scars that paid for my sins and your sins. I hope you've trusted him as your savior. I hope you know that Christ paid for all your sins on the cross and he would not be distracted from his mission. And here's what I really hope is that you will decide your mission is to glorify God like that and you'll never get distracted from it. Don't get distracted from the mission. Stay on mission. Stay focused like Nehemiah. Stay focused. Don't let people talk you out of it. Don't let events talk you out of it. Don't let your phone distract you from it. Stay focused on the mission of glorifying God. Amen?